Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the newest episode of the Going Long Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Neal. It is officially Utah week. We are just a few days away from the number eight Oregon Ducks traveling down to Salt Lake City to take on the number 13 Utah Utes. It is an anxiety-ridden week, I know, for every Oregon Duck fan out there. Um, this matchup between Ducks and Utes has um, given us a lot of instant classics over the last uh, few years. Actually, you know, I, I say instant classic. It's just given us some really important games, I guess I should say, over the past few years. Um, back 2021, Utah beat a very good, well, a, a pretty good Oregon team twice um, in the final few weeks of the regular season to end uh, Oregon's potential college football playoff run and Pac-12 championship run, um, getting into the Rose Bowl for Cam Rising and Kyle Whittingham. Last year, Oregon found a way to bounce back from the Washington loss and get Utah at home in a game where Bo Nix was pretty hampered with that ankle injury. So um, we've had a lot of really good games between these two teams. I know that these two fan bases, um, they respectfully dislike each other. I think that's safe to say. So we're going to preview this game. Um, I'm going to be going down to Utah for that game. I'm very excited. My first time down in Rice Eccles Stadium. I've heard nothing but the best about that place. So um, I'm going to go through a few of my biggest keys to the game for this episode, and then I'll get into my official prediction at the end. So a lot to get to. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get into it. Like I said up at the top, I'm going to go through my keys to the game for Oregon, uh, for an Oregon win. I've got four keys here that I think if Oregon can, um, you know, check off these boxes and take care of these few things, I don't think a win is um, is out of reach for them. The first one, this one's kind of obvious. I know you can say this about most games, but I think it's incredibly important for this game in particular. Oregon needs to get off to a fast start. Um, Utah is is really not a place or not a team that you want to play against um, from behind. You know, you obviously, if you could have your druthers in any football game, you're you're leading throughout the entire game. That's that's simple to say. But um, with Utah, they're just their style of play, their physicality, the environment you're playing in. It's just not conducive to comeback wins. Utah, if you don't know already, they've they're obviously missing their starting quarterback. They've been missing him all year. They've got Bryson Barnes, who um, he's a, a solid quarterback. He's better with his legs and with his arm. They don't have a you know a really vibrant passing attack, but they run the ball pretty well. Um, that just gives them the chance that if they get up and you allow them to to dictate the game and the pace of the game and kind of control things. They'll be able to do it. They're a team that really can run the ball down your throats if you're if you're not careful and um, just control the pace of the game, which is what Oregon really needs to avoid. Um, the Ducks need to try and get out early, um, try and get out, get some points on the board, and force Utah to be in a position where they need to play from behind and where they need to try and pass the ball and try and utilize their passing attack to get back into the game and not allow them to just run the clock out from the front. I think that Oregon's in a really good position to be able to do this because the Ducks do have a strong running game. We've seen that they're 
Um, they're really good with explosive plays. They've got a lot of explosive plays, you know, plus 15 yards on the ground, plus 25 yards in the air. That's what qualifies as an explosive play. And Utah is one of the worst teams in the Pac-12 when it comes to allowing explosive plays. So um, that's something that I think you could take advantage of early. I think that Will Stein probably calls a few more shots early in this game. Um, than he typically would. We saw that last week against Washington State on that very first drive. I think the first play of the game went to, um, I believe it was Terrence Ferguson, wasn't it, for around 30 yards. Second play was reversed to Gary Bryant, over 15 yards. Um, It's just important for the Ducks to move the ball um, in chunks early in this game and I think take a big lead. For this reason, I wouldn't be completely surprised if you see Oregon choose to, you know, receive the ball to start the game rather than defer if they win the opening kickoff. You know, conventional wisdom is that you defer the opening kick so then you can choose at halftime. You can get the ball at halftime and try and keep or steal momentum that way. But, you know, this is a game where I wouldn't mind seeing them take the ball early on and just put points on the board, make it right away that that Utah is having to play from behind. Um, see if they can just get that early momentum built on offense because that's where I think this game is won for Oregon. This is this is a game about Oregon's offense versus Utah's defense. I don't have too many doubts about Oregon's defense against Utah's offense because Utah's offense is really, you know, all due respect, that's really not that great. You know, when you're dealing with a season where you don't have your starting quarterback in Cam Rising. Cam Rising is an incredible player, and I don't mean to say that Bryson Barnes is a bad quarterback, but he's just not on the level of of Cam Rising. He's not on the level of Bo Nix, and so without Rising uh, operating that offense, I you know their offense just does not scare me as much as as it would if Rising was in there. Um, let me check this stat. Utah's offense, yeah, they've got the 98th total offense in the nation. They only average 345 yards per game. 96th scoring offense in the nation. They average 23 points per game. So uh, their offense is not someone that really scares you that much. So um, I think if Oregon can really just dominate this on the offensive side of the ball early in the game and really just take control of things, that's probably my biggest key to victory. Another thing, another key on on Oregon's offensive side of the ball is they really need to operate at a high capacity in the red zone. Um, You know, you look at Oregon's offense, it's really, really good, been great all year. One of the few areas where they can stand to improve is in the red zone. They rank 51st in the nation when it comes to red zone efficiency. Uh, They score points on 86% of the drives that reach the red zone, which you know, that that gets pretty good. But when you consider that they're only scoring touchdowns on 72% of those drives, um, it's you're realizing that there's points that are left on the board. So I think that it's absolutely imperative that they operate at a higher clip in the red zone in this game. And I think what that particularly means is I want to see Bo Nix run the ball more in the red zone. I want to use I want to see him use his legs a little bit more in the red zone. I went back and broke down the numbers. Uh, Like I said, Oregon is 32 of 37 in the red zone this year. They've missed two field goals, and they've had three turnovers on downs. Uh, Two against Washington, one against Colorado. However, the touchdown rate, like I said, is 27 for 37, which is down to 72% um, touchdown rate. So like I said, you're leaving a lot of points on the board when you're settling for field goals in the red zone instead of scoring touchdowns. I went back to to the numbers from last year, and I just compared things through seven games from last year to this year. 
2022, Oregon was 38 for 47 in red zone touchdown rate, which is 80%. Compare that again to the 72% this year. I think one of the main reasons for this is that Bo Nix is running a lot less than he was last year. I don't know if that's, you know, I'm sure there's reasons for that. They're, they're okay with his decision-making. He's going to other players rather than keeping it himself. They're also probably doing it, doing it to try and keep him healthy because, you know, we saw last year that when he's not at 100%, this team, the ceiling goes way down. But in 2022 through seven games, Knicks had rushed 48 times for 382 yards and eight touchdowns. So far this year through seven games, he's rushed 28 times for 105 yards and two touchdowns. You know, it's it's very easy to see the drop-off there. And that's not a drop-off in talent or anything. It's just a, a change in decision-making. It's the fact that he's handing the ball off more or trying to, to throw it more once they get down to the red zone instead of keeping it himself and getting into the end zone. We saw last week against Washington State, they got down in the red zone, and he did run it. He did keep it himself and score a rushing touchdown, which is only the second one this year that he had. But, um, you know, I, I think that you can really contribute the lack of red zone production, and that's that's a relative lack. I mean, I'm not saying that Oregon's bad in the red zone or anything. It's just a place where they can improve. That's a place where you can criticize and nitpick a little bit and see that they can improve. Um, I think you can directly contribute that to, to Bo Nix, his rushing attempts going down. I think that's something that needs to change going forward. You know, I I completely understand keeping him healthy throughout the year and making sure that, um, you know, your your ship does not sink with Nick's going down. Um, I think that's pretty, he's obviously the number one person on the team that you need to keep healthy. But you you keep him healthy throughout the year for games like this. Um, I think you keep him out healthy through the first half of the season because you need him late in the season to be him. Um, you need him to have every capability. And part of that, I mean, part of what makes him such a good quarterback is that he's a really good rusher. Um, he's got a really great arm. He's really efficient. Uh, but really, he he can get out of the pocket and scramble with his legs and u- utilize his legs. I think that's something that we really need to see this week. And I I would not be surprised at all to see him uh, take control a little bit more and call his own number once they get into the red zone. The third key to victory for me in this game is that Oregon cannot let Utah's rushing game beat them. Um, I know I talked a little bit about Utah's offense. They don't have the great the greatest passing offense, but what they do do well, uh, or what they have done well uh, so far this year, is rush the ball. Uh, they've got the 31st rushing attack in the nation. They average 183 yards per game. Compare that to the passing attack, which is 116th in the nation, uh, 161 yards per game. It's it's very rare that you see a team rush for more yards than they pass for in the game. Uh, but that's that's kind of what Utah does. That's kind of been their bread and butter so far. Particularly, this means that Oregon's going to need to slow down Jaquindon Jackson and Sion Vaki. Um, if you don't know Sion Vaki and the story so far, he's actually been incredible um, and incredibly entertaining. He is originally a safety for for Utah, and just a couple of games ago, they decided to flip him over to the offensive side of the ball, put him in a running back, and just see what he could do. He's a someone who played running back and wide receiver back in high school when he was playing both sides of the ball, and it was really good. But so far at Utah, they've kept him on the defensive side. That is until a couple of weeks ago, where over the last two weeks, he's averaging 113 rushing yards per game, 72 receiving yards per game, and two touchdowns per game um, out of the backfield in the last two games. So 
Um, obviously he's someone that you really, really need to, to look at and focus on because you cannot let him beat you. You can't let Jaquindon Jackson, another really good player on their offense, their running back. Um, you can't let them beat you. And this goes back to my first point where you need to control the game and, and get out early. I think that if, if Oregon can get out early and, and put Utah in a position where they have to pass the ball, that's going to be very beneficial. I don't know that they're going to pass the ball. Um, if that's, I mean, obviously they will if that's their only option, but they're going to do whatever they can to keep the rushing game in this and to be able to keep their style of play, their very physical style of play, um, keep after that and stay true to themselves. But um, if Oregon can, you know, this is all to say Oregon's got a really good rushing defense as well. Um, Through seven games so far, Oregon's rushing defense ranks 11th in the nation. They allow only 95 yards per game. Um, so I, I think that Oregon is well equipped to handle this aspect of Utah's offense. That's kind of what gives me um, a, a good amount of confidence about Oregon's chances in this game going forward is that, you know, what Utah does well on offense, Oregon also does really well on defense. And what Oregon does well on offense, you know, Oregon's really good at passing the ball. Obviously, they're really good at rushing the ball. Utah's defense ranks 56th in passing yardage, which, um, you know, which is probably Oregon's. I wouldn't say bread and butter because Oregon's really balanced. They're good at rushing the ball as well. But, you know, Utah's rushing defense is fifth in the nation. They only allow 78 yards per game. So um, I think that Oregon can definitely choose where they want to hit you, where Utah doesn't really have that same capability. They're going to try and run the ball as much as they can. If they're not able to do that, I don't know that they have many other answers. So uh, that's one of my biggest keys is you just you got a key on the run game and make sure that you stop those two running backs coming out of the backfield. My last key to the game here, this one's this one's less of an X and O's thing and just kind of in general, Oregon's just got to take care of business. Um, this is going to be a really, really tough environment to go down to. It's going to be cold. It's going to be loud. There's going to be a ton of hype. You got a college game day down there again. Um, this is just, it's one of those games that's set up for, it's, it's going to be tough is what I should say. I mean, you're, you're dealing with a, a very physical team that's really good at what they do and it's hard to get them out of rhythm and hard to get them to stop doing what they do. Um, that's not to say that Oregon's not able to do that, but we've just seen over the past few years against this Utah team, Oregon has struggled. And then we've also seen under Dan Lanning that this team has not always done well on the road against big physical opponents as well. You take obviously that Georgia game last year, That's you kind of throw that one out the window because that Georgia team was probably one of the best teams in the history of college football. And this was that was Oregon's first game under Dan Lang. So I don't really consider that one, but you go to that um, in particularly that Oregon state game last year, very physical team, tough environment, pretty cold outside. They, they allow a comeback and get beat on the road. You go to this Washington game just a few weeks ago, less of a physical team, but a really dynamic and uh, just an incredible offensive team, tough environment on the road, unable to get it done, obviously. But, and then the last time, the last two times that Oregon has played in Utah, they've lost. So we know that this is a dangerous team. We know it's an incredibly tough environment. Um, so far this year, I think that Dan Lanning and his team have been pretty good at blocking out the noise. Um, you know, I, I just think that they really need to not get in their own way when it comes to penalties, when it comes to execution errors. Um, that's something that we've seen a little bit of both of over the past few weeks. 
so far this season. Um, those are just two two major things for me. I feel confident in this team's ability to do that. Um, you know, we've we've seen some of those struggles on the road, but you know, this is this is going to be a question going into all of these games, all of these you know top fifteen, top twenty five road matchups because we haven't seen it yet from Dan Lanning's team. And it's going to be a question until, until we see them do it. They're going to need to go on the road and prove that they can do it. I believe they can, but you know, it's, it's going to be a storyline and a topic of conversation until they can finally do it. So this is a really big opportunity for the ducks, a really big opportunity for Lanning to go up against arguably the best coach in the pac 12. Um, one of the best coach teams in the pac 12, one of the best coach teams in the nation, if we're being completely honest, um, really big test, but I think a, a really big opportunity with that. All right, getting down to my my final score prediction and my overall prediction from this game, I've been kind of going back and forth on this. You know, you look at a bunch of advanced stats, a bunch of numbers throughout the, the week. Some people, it's a, a really low over under. Um, I believe right now it's around forty nine. I've seen it as high as fifty, as low as forty eight. Um, I I think I'm going with forty nine. And the the betting line has bounced around a little bit. I think it opened with Oregon only favored by three and a half. It's since pushed up to Oregon favored by a full touchdown. I actually have not checked today, so I don't know what it's currently at. But the last I saw was Oregon minus six and a half or seven. Um, you know, I've I've bounced around. I think that I see a route where this is a pretty low scoring game. I also see a route where Oregon's offense is just able to throw the ball a lot and, um, you know, take control of this game. But I could also see them getting up early and just running the game out and just going with that ground attack. In the end, I'm expecting a 27 to 17 Oregon win. That's what I, I see happening. I think that Oregon jumps out early in the game, tries to use some passing to, to get some chunk plays and get some points on the board. From there, I see a little bit of a shift to their rushing attack and them trying to control the pace of the game. Um, they know that they can ground this out. This is this is a game where you don't really worry about beauty points. This is not a game where where you worry about Heisman numbers or, or putting up statistics and in winning the flash contest. You get in there, you get out of there with the win as quick as possible. Um, and so for that reason, I think that the Ducks try and run their way to victory after getting up early. Um, I think this is a game where you see Bo Nix be pretty efficient, but not with a huge sample size. We saw him pass only 25 times last week against Washington State. I kind of expect a similar performance, um, you know, 20 of 25, something like that for, you know, a couple hundred yards and a touchdown or two with several more rushing touchdowns, not for him, but for the team. Um, and then you you just let the defensive line go to work, in my opinion. you You try and you know, this isn't really going to be an opportunity for them to get after the quarterback because Utah's going to try and run the ball as much as they can, but you want tackles for loss. You want them to muddy up the the rushing lanes and, and try and win that, uh, you know, win in the trenches and win at the, the point of attack. And this is a game where you it's really important that they have someone like Justin Jacobs back because he's a super physical linebacker who can get up and stop the run. We saw him do that against Washington State last week. Um, this sets up for a, a perfect type of game for him because he really gets to show his size and his ability to kind of get in there in the trenches and muddy up that game. Um, you know, and, and this is a game where you try and try and force Utah into a position where they have to use Bryson Barnes arm and not his legs and not the legs of the, the offense between their two running backs as well. So, 
in the end, I feel, um, you know, I've, I've said several times this week, I feel cautiously optimistic. Um, I think that on paper, this is a game that Oregon absolutely should win. I know um, once you get into that Rice Cycle Stadium, once you see the environment, the weather, the physicality of Utah, um, the coaching of Utah, the game's not played on paper. There are a lot of things that can happen. This little, this is like the Washington game, going to come down to several moments throughout the game that you need to win. We saw against Washington, there were several moments where fourth down, you know, you you get stopped instead of converting a fourth and three. A couple times in that game, you decide to go for it instead of kicking the field goal. This is going to come down to several moments just like that once again. If Oregon can operate on a high level and, you know, uh, extend drives or get stops on defense, you know, take the points when they can get them. This is not, I don't think going to be a super high scoring game. So I think points are going to be at a premium. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Dan play maybe a little bit less aggressive when it comes to that, because this is not like a Washington game where you're going to have to score uh, 36, 37 points to win. I think if you can score 24, 27, 30 in this game, you feel pretty comfortable about your defense's ability to keep Utah under that. So um, it's going to be a physical grounded out game, but I think Oregon's suited to be able to win that type of game. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys for listening and following along. Uh, like I said up top, I will be going down to Salt Lake City for this game. Um, I, I am super excited. I've heard nothing but the best about that stadium. Apparently has probably the, the nicest press box in the Pac-12 from what I hear. So this will be my first time down there. Could also, I, mean, I guess, hopefully not be my last time down there. We don't know if Oregon and Utah are going to be playing much uh, much going forward in the future. But, um, you know, this will this will be a really fun one. And I will, I'll plan to record a podcast either probably Saturday night, maybe Sunday morning. Um, my, I don't think my flight leaves from out of Salt Lake until around three in the afternoon. So um, I'll have time to get something up. But um, we will have a ton of stuff on Duckswire the rest of this week leading up to the game, uh, after the game, all of your recap stuff, so go there. Um, if you want to check out more of my work, you can follow me at Zachary C. Neal on Twitter. I will talk to you guys this weekend after the game. Until then, take it easy. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.